welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer, we cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Nicole Wirtz, another one of my fabulous sorority sisters. Nicole is 38 years old and an FSU graduate, as well as a graduate from Bellevue University with a master's in clinical counseling. Nicole works as the supervisor to group homes for foster children aged 10 to 17 at Boys Town, North Florida. She has worked there for 13 years and is passionate about serving local youth in the area. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Nicole. Absolutely. Thank you for Um, having me. Yeah, of course. So um, we just wanted to open up with, could you tell us a little bit more about how you discovered um, that you were infertile or unable to have children? Definitely. Um, So basically, I was having some very, very heavy menstrual cycles, and I've always pretty much my entire life. Um, I've had some issues with cramping and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but near the end, um, it was just some really, really heavy bleeding. Um, so we went in, kind of looked at what, what the problems were, did the ultrasounds, um, looked at options for treatment. Um, and we did talk about ablation at first to see if we could, you know, cut off the the blood flow to, um, I had, uh, fibroids, mm. some pretty large mm. fibroids. Um, and we unfortunately could not do that because the fibroids were in the uterine lining. So if they were to do the ablation, it would cause me to bleed, to bleed out. Um, so we did, we did what we had to do, which was, uh, the hysterectomy. So at that point, that's, that's when it, that's when I became infertile. Yeah. Mm. So with your hysterectomy, did they leave your ovaries? They did. So they weren't completely sure. They couldn't tell from the ultrasound if um, there were fibroids on the ovaries as well or cysts on the ovaries as well. Um, So they were going to go in and kind of, you know, make that decision based in the moment um, Mm -hmm. while they were doing surgery. If they could keep them, they would keep them. Um, If they couldn't, then they'd remove those as well. Um, but I do have both of my ovaries still. Uh, but yeah, there, there's always the possibility of, you know, egg retrieval, freezing the eggs, implanting the eggs, um, in a surrogate, but it's super expensive. Insurance doesn't cover it here. Mm Um, you know, I'm clearly not against adoption. I work with kids in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, there's something psychological. It just kind of pulls at you. Like I, I want the, the choice to at least, you know, have something that's part of me. Right. Um, if, if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's something that I go back and forth with all the time. Yeah. For sure. I think when, uh, when it's your choice, that's one thing, but when the choice is taken from you, it's a whole different ball game. Right. And I didn't, um, you know, I got my hysterectomy when I, my hysterectomy when I was 35, so three years ago. Um, and I never wanted 
I never wanted children. I always, you know, worked with kids and that was enough. And, you know, it takes a lot of my time and I've devoted my life to this. Um, and then about two months after my surgery. So I had just, I took the full six weeks off after the mm-hmm. surgery. I went back to work. And then I met my partner probably about a week after I returned mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, it was never an option before, but maybe it is now. <laughs> so right. it got my wheels turning and thinking about those things. And, you know, I, I never thought that I would feel some type of way about it until I did. And then it kind of hit me out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never wanted children. And now all of a sudden I want it. Is it because I can't have them that I want them? Or like, what's <laughs> right. going on? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, exactly. So um, how has your infertility affected those romantic relationships since your surgery? How um, has your partner kind of dealt with that as an option, um, you know, that that is lacking from um, from you? And how, how has that worked out? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I had the conversation pretty early on um, in our relationship. Um I think she, you know, she wants to be the savior and uh, she, well, don't worry, I have mine and, you know, everything's going to work out and we can figure it out. And I know it's expensive, but we can, not that she has an unrealistic view of it, but she just wants to, to make everything right. And Mm -hmm. that might not be as easy as she thinks it is. Um, Mm -hmm. We have talked, she, she has expressed some fears too, that well, what happens if we get to that point and then we find out that I'm infertile? Mm. I said, well, you know, then we can talk about other options. But if she if she were to be infertile, there's going to be a lot of guilt on her on her part um, as well as mine. But, you know, I feel like that's like 20 steps ahead of us. So I can right. tell her like, burn that bridge when we get there. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I don't want to worry about this right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this whole process when um, it was finally decided to go ahead with the hysterectomy and then subsequent to that, um, looking at um, childbearing or uh, adopting, you know, childbearing versus adopting, did you feel like the medical community provided any kind of emotional support for you in addition to taking care of you physically? Did you mm-hmm. feel like you were taken care of emotionally? I don't, but um, I don't think that's entirely on them. Mm-hmm. I think I went in with it, with the mindset of what are our options? They gave me the options and I said, when they said hysterectomy at that time, you know, I was, I had been single for a long time. I never thought I would get married. I never thought that I would have kids. So I kind of said, well, take it out then. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there were a couple, a couple people, a couple doctors that said, you know, um, you're young, you still got a long ways to go. Um, we do think it's appropriate for you to have one. Uh, but I was so gung ho about it and, oh no, no periods. That sounds like <laughs> to me, like go ahead and take it, but this mm-hmm. is fine. Like go ahead. And it wasn't until after 
when I was processing and thinking about, you know, what it, what had happened mm-hmm. that, and my follow-up appointment was during the hurricane. This is horrible, but oh, it was yeah. during uh, hurricane Michael. So mm. mid October. So that appointment got canceled. And then I just said, well, you know, I'm fine. I feel fine. I'm not going to follow up with it. Cause that would have been a good time to say, Hey, you know, I'm starting to have these feelings and, uh, Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, what do I need to do about this? Um, What are my resources there? But uh, I never really got an option for that. Mm. Yeah, that's what we're finding, um, you know, with me and with other people we've talked to is that it's not always on the forefront of our providers' minds of giving um, even resources, like you said, like, you know, if perhaps you're feeling this way, here's who you can talk to. Um, and so that has been something that has been consistent, I would say, um, with probably every story we've heard so far, you know, in, in the focus on infertility and pregnancy loss is that, um, people have to do their own seeking out of resources and things like that. Um, did you join any, uh, like support group or anything like that? I did on Facebook. Um, it's really, I mean, it's the same post after post after post. It's mainly people asking for medical advice. So I kind of got <laughs> out of that cause I was like, geez, this is, <laughs> this is like a liability a here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, people are giving their advice. You need to try this or you need, I'm like, Oh no, this is, so it wasn't so much support as it was. You know, just, mm-hmm. hey, I had this happen. Is this normal or, mm-hmm. you know. You know, um, in Alex's case, I was uh, encouraged when her gynecologist, after the hysterectomy, um, he referred her to a fertility specialist to discuss the retrieval of eggs and that kind of thing, the possibilities um, and so it would be just as easy for a physician to refer you to some type of counseling, you know, to right. discuss your mental health. And um, and so I wish that could become sort of the norm, because right. like Alex said, we're finding out it, everyone we've talked to, none of them got any sort of mental health uh, support. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean... Obviously, they follow the, you know, the medical model and not necessarily, you know, a behavioral model or a mental health model, but there really isn't a meshing of the two, not, not just in this case, but Mm -hmm. I would think in a, in a whole bunch of different scenarios where they don't really mix the two. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. Well, and just, you know, people are whole, right there. We are whole people and we have physical needs and we have mental needs and we have emotional needs. And so, yes, people can specialize in that. Like I certainly wouldn't want my gynecologist giving me advice about (laughs) counseling, but it would be nice if because they're in the same kind of sphere that they could refer you to someone and say, hey, I'm not an expert, but you should go talk to this person. Um, So did you get any, this is, um, this has come up recently because I just got referred to a physical therapist, but were you referred to any kind of pelvic floor physical therapy after your hysterectomy? Nothing. Yeah. We also have found that that is common and that it's (laughs) unusual in the U S for people to even like have referrals for that unless an issue arises. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 
I mean, it's just kind of the same story, right? And it's just right. a sad reflection on we don't think of people as being whole and um you know, your hysterectomy solved your problem, right? It like healed right. you from your fibroids and your heavy bleeding, but what else could it have caused or what else could you be going through right alongside well, of that? Absolutely. Um, and there have been a lot of side effects that I just, you know, I deal with them in my own way, which is mm -hmm. usually to be like, this is how it is. And mm -hmm. I'm going to try and cope with it, with it the best way that I can. You know, I probably, I probably gained about 40 pounds mm -hmm. um, and I've tried everything, diet, exercise. I joined uh, a fitness camp here in town. That's, I mean, it's guaranteed results, but it was happening so slowly. I was moving at a skip's pace that it was just so not motivating for me. I was like, forget it. I think this is just how it is. It might be my age. It might be because, you know, the surgery had an impact in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe I'm just going to be 40 pounds heavier the rest of my life. We didn't even know there was such a thing as a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, you know, PTs who specifically have studied uh, how to strengthen the pelvic floor in women and well, and in men, they've mm -hmm. said, um, we didn't even know that until this podcast. So I, you know, I'm encouraged to know that they're out there, but I wish that there could be referrals from the gynecologists, like with the counselors, um, even if they just gave you some sort of written information with lists of different specialties that you might need. Um, so you have that in your hand. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. Incredibly. I don't, I don't get why that isn't happening, yeah. but hopefully can we can get, yeah, the word out. Can get that, uh, get that moving. Yeah, yeah. Get the word out. Cause it, I mean, it really is true that, and I don't think it's a coincidence that every person we've spoken to, <laughs> and it's a small right. sample of people who have had hysterectomies or people who have had children or, you know, who have gone through some, some trauma in their, um, uh, feminine reproductive organs. Um, and so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that maybe these are issues for a lot of people. And, you know, um, a lot of us think that some things are normal um, afterwards, right. that after talking to a pelvic floor th physical therapist, they're like, that's not normal. That's not yeah. okay. <laughs> um, and you shouldn't be feeling like that. So let's talk yeah. about that. And even, you know, I had a recent um, ultrasound to check on a cyst on one of my ovaries and it was an internal ultrasound and it was extraordinarily painful. Yes. And I was like, why does this hurt so bad? Um, I have had this kind of exam before and it has never hurt. My normal gynecologic exams didn't hurt. Like what is different about this? And I brought it up in my um, follow-up appointment with my gynecologist and she just kind of like brushed it off. She was like, did the exam hurt today? And I was like, no. She's like, well, you know, it could have just been anything different that day. And, but as long as you're okay, you're okay. And I had to actually bring up physical therapy. And I said, just to get an evaluation, 
would you refer me just to be evaluated? Because that's not your expertise. And they did. And I'm going to see what someone later this month, but like, I, if I had not been knowledgeable about that and just said, Hey, this was painful. And she brushed it off. I would think, okay, well that's normal. It's going to be painful every time I get an ultrasound. Right. Yeah. And it makes me think too of, you know, I'm always thinking about the families that I work with and, you know, they're, they're, you know, at the poverty level, they would never know to ask for something like that. They're just going to fight through it and, and, and live through it. Uh, if and they're if going remember- to get their annual exam anyway. Right. I mean, yeah. that's another issue too. Right. Right. If I remember correctly, Alex, you, you may remember, but when we talked to those PTs, didn't they say that most insurance will cover the, the um, pelvic floor exam? Yeah, I think it's just considered physical mm-hmm. therapy. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it's all wrapped up. It's, it's a, I mean, it is a specialty within a specialty, but in terms of insurance and paying for it, if your insurance pays for physical therapy, you know, so many sessions after an injury or after surgery or whatever, mm-hmm. then it's covered. So, and that's just to strengthen the muscle or it's to strengthen the muscles. And they, you know, they work on, they have all kinds of contraptions. I was really fascinated. Like they had <laughs> yeah. all of these, these videos and contraptions of if you are incontinent in any way, or if you have pain. Um, and so they work the muscles um, either by giving you exercises or by physically, you know, um, manipulating like they would like a shoulder injury. Um right. And so it it's really fascinating. I mean, I felt so dumb in that first when the first PT well, I feel dumb right out. now. So I'm, I'm writing things down as you're talking about it. I'm like pelvic floor therapy. Well, here's the thing. I like I mean, I did well in school and all, but I didn't realize there were muscles that like created the pelvic floor like a meant- hammock. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense, right? How are your organs staying in there? But like, right. I never realized it until she showed us a model and I said, oh, duh. But nobody talks about it. And so, um, and I don't know if we don't talk about it just like the way we don't talk about vaginas and periods and all of that. Or is it just that um, it hasn't, you know, that old wives tale of like, oh, you had a baby, you're going to pee a little every time you cough now. Yeah. You know, is that, really how we need to be living? Well, and both of the PTs who specialize in pelvic floor, um, they said that's not necessary. We can help you with that, you know? Um, So it was just um, really, I don't know, coincidental, or I I think they reached out to you if I'm not. Both of them did, yeah. When they uh, listened to the podcast, they reached out to Alex, um, which we were thrilled about because we learned so much. And we knew our listeners were going to learn, too, because it's just not talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. And you said that there's two in Tallahassee? No, uh, there's these... one. Yeah, there's one in Tallahassee. Um, the two who reached out were from out of town. But um, the one I was referred to... Um, I forget what group he's with, but I can send you the information. Oh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and Alex, while you're sending the information to Nicole, you might send um, the two episodes where we spoke mm-hmm. with each of those uh, PTs because they really were informative. Yeah. So yeah, I would I'm love curi- to hear that. I'm curious. You're So you said you had heavy periods probably most of your life. It was mm-hmm. just kind of your normal when did it become like problematic for you that you started asking about uh, how you could fix it or go about checking into it? Yeah. Um, I think it started with my cramps. 
my my cramps were getting so bad that I was, I could barely get up out of bed. Mm. I would, you know, I would get nauseous. Um, I felt like I was dying. I was like, if this is what having a baby feels like, I'm not going to be able to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, It's really much worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Golly, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine it. Well, near the end, um, I I mean, I would sit on the toilet and bleed for five to 10 minutes before Mm. I could get up. Yeah. And when I told them that, they said, Nicole, you're going to, you're going to bleed to death yeah. because it's just not stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yeah. scared me really, really bad one day. It, I mean, it just wasn't stopping. And I was like, there, this definitely isn't normal. I know that this isn't normal. I need to go tell them. And um, yeah. that's what kind of set the whole process. I also started my period really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I was like, had just turned nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wondered, you know, if maybe that is why things happened to me when I was in my 30s, early 30s, if mm-hmm. it had some kind of correlation there. But um, yeah, who knows? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a symptom of um, all kinds of issues, right? Like I started mine when I was 10 um, and never was regular, always was mm-hmm. heavy. So very similar. Um, and actually, when I went in, And I was really concerned because I had bled for 30 days. Um, And my doctor was like, oh, it's nothing. We'll go in there and it's probably just fibroids. We'll scrape them out, whatever. Um, And so like to him, his trigger was, okay, you have heavy bleeding, but we can fix it because you're young. It's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's more than that. Like for you, it was more than that. For me, it was more than that was different, right? You had fibroids and I had cancer, but it was, it's still the fact that you're having to like sit on the toilet for 10 minutes and bleed. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. If you were bleeding out of any <laughs> other orifice, you would be an immediate mm-hmm. emergency room visit. Right. Like yeah. Yeah. why it's do we tough. accept that if we're bleeding crazily out of our vaginas, it's just, Oh, it's, well, it's normal. That's a good mm. point. Well, and I was <laughs> going to ask Nicole during that time, did you ever have any abnormal pap smears or any kind of test that caused them any concern? It was just the bleeding that they said, you know, this is what we have to do to take care of it. Yep. It was just the bleeding. And then um, when they did the first, so we did two ultrasounds. We did one right, right that same week that I went in. Um, And they were, there were three, golf sized golf ball sized um fibroids mm-hmm. and we scheduled the surgery about 3 months later and they did one right before the surgery and one of them had already grown to the size of a cantaloupe oh, oh wow i was like wow. how in the world like if we wouldn't if we would have waited what would have happened you know because it was right. literally sucking me dry. Mm. <laughs> it was, it was incredible, but the other ones were, were the size of baseballs three Jeez. months later. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm. I can't even imagine like, yeah. At all. <laughs> well, he said, you know, you, you're, you're so petite that when I went in there, he goes, your insides are the same way. Like everything's just very crowded. Mm. And he goes, it took me, it took him about an hour to an hour and a half longer than expected. Wow. Um, 
because he just had to be so meticulous and Mm -hmm. how everything was moved. And um, I mean, I think he did an excellent job. I'm very, very thankful. Did you have uh, laparoscopic or was it vaginal? (laughs) I did the um, laparoscopic, the Da Vinci. Oh yeah. That's what mine was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, I asked about the test because um, we have come to learn through Alex's experience that um, excessive bleeding can often be a sign of cancer. And um, too often though, when a patient is as young as you all were, when all that happened, they discount that because um, they say, well, you're too young to get cancer. Those were the exact words we heard. You're too young to have cancer or uterine cancer anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I was curious about the, any kind of test results, um, you know, but yep. yeah, cause they really heavily rely on your pap smear, you know, and if it's always coming back normal, oh, well then you're fine. You know, right. it's okay. And you know, see us later, maybe when you're closer to 40, maybe that's when we'll have some right. you know concern, but, um, more well, and more people in their thirties are having issues. Right. Well, and you know, I was thinking about this when you were sharing your story about, you know, the painful um, exam. Mm-hmm. The last exam that I had was really painful. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, geez, your, your, um, they say your, your uterus is tilted back mm-hmm. so far that your cervix is so low. They were like, we've really never seen it this low, wow. so low. And it was because those fibroids, yeah, we're pushing it down. And that's what was causing it to hurt. Wow. Like, wow. It really hurt. Like I, I can tolerate a lot. And I had like silent tears coming down. I didn't want her to oh, see that no. I was crying, but I was like, mm. when I, oh. I curl up my toes, when I tense up. And so my, mm-hmm. she was like, are you okay? I was like, no. Mm. <laughs> Hurry up. You know, oh, I God. saw um, a spot on the today show this morning. Um, just to interject this, uh, it was about men and prostate cancer Mm -hmm. and how one in 10 men will get prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. But um, just like a lot of women, they, um, they don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They, um, you know, they don't go to the doctor and unless for men, unless they get a PSA test that shows a high number that's concerning to their doctor, they don't ever know. Right. That they have prostate cancer. Um, as they get older, they figure incontinence is just part of getting older. And, uh, so it's not just the down there aware, um, of women, but men also have some issues talking about it and, um, having it looked at. And so hopefully any women listening will talk to their significant others if, um, they have a man in the house and, you know, we can change that as well. That would be awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh man, you've been through so much Mm. and I'm just so happy that you were brave and courageous to share your story and to get the word out because it is so important. And every story while having some consistencies is so unique that it's, it's valuable to tell every story so that, um, you know, someone listening can say, maybe that's what I'm going through. Maybe that's what I, you know, need to talk to my doctor about. And so while we, are not professionals and we are not giving medical advice. We, you know, encourage people to, 
to listen to their bodies and to, to reach out to their doctors if they think something's going on. So thank you so much for being here, Nicole. We You're really, very really welcome. appreciate it. Yeah. How much well, do I you- owe you for therapy? <laughs> <laughs> I should say the same to you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. As always, you can find more information about this episode and other episodes on our website at www.downthereaware.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Down There Aware, Instagram, at Down There Aware, Twitter, at Down There Aware, and also now on Pinterest, Down There Aware. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.